This is Joe Peters with my latest In the Know with Joe podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Marge Sullivan of Somerville, who is one of the leading historians for Somerville about its early history. And we're going to go over Somerville from its inception through about 1850. I think you're going to be amazed to find that George Washington, with nearly 9,000 men, camped in Somerville during the winter of 1788 and a lot of other interesting items. Please listen in. So hello, it's Joe Peters with In the Know with Joe and my guest today is Marge Sullivan. Marge Sullivan is uh, a resident, longtime resident of downtown Somerville and her husband happens to be the mayor I don't know if that's good news or bad news because he's a busy dude, but uh, I had Dennis on the show about a month or so back. And when I asked Dennis, where could I learn a little bit more about history? Naturally, Marge's name came up and other people had told me that the same thing. So Marge and I spent last Friday about an hour, hour and a half sitting out at a table under a tree near City Hall on a day that was quite humid, if I remember it. And she showed me some of the historic sites over in that general area. So, Marge, why don't you tell the listeners a little about your background? Oh, well, um, I'm a Jersey girl. I was born and raised in New Jersey. I went to college here uh, uh, to Kane, did my graduate work at Rutgers. Um, I spent, uh, I'm a psychologist by training, an academic behavioral scientist. Uh, I've spent most of my career at uh, uh, Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in the Department of Pediatrics. My specialty is uh, developmental psych, which is how children grow and change and become the people they are. And I guess that sort of is a nice uh, uh, connection with my interest in history because it's all about time and how time affects people and how people change over time. And history is about that, although on a grander scale. So uh, uh, Dennis and I moved to Somerville when he got uh, his tenure teaching job in the school system here. And I was very excited to learn that we had a state historic site from the American Revolution right here in town. And I was so excited because it seemed to me that was wonderful. And so I uh, joined the uh, friends group from the Wallace House and the Old Dutch Parsonage Association, and that sort of started me on my history kick. And uh, now that I'm retired from my uh, academic and science uh, track, um, I'm kind of become uh, more involved uh, locally and uh, and, uh, even on the the county level in in history organizations. I'm a member of the Heritage Trail Association, which... uh, (coughs) is uh, actually based in Bridgewater, but is another site from the American Revolution. And uh, I guess I'll talk more about that in in a bit. So is that sufficient? Yeah, that gives us a little bit about you and how you got to where you're at. Um, How long have you lived in Somerville at this point in time? Well, um, my my oldest daughter is 45. It's hard to believe. Uh, and we moved in just before she was uh, born. So it's definitely 45 
plus, plus years. years. That's uh, I, I was kidding Dennis when it's 50, we're gonna have the biggest party he's ever seen. <laughs> so you gave me two different books. Um, one and I uh, always tell people, I always tell people that uh, even though it's 45 plus years, I still feel like I'm a new resident in, in Somerville because I'm always learning more interesting stuff about that's it. interesting uh, i live in, in hunterdon county and somebody told me your house will never be your house it's always going to be the name of the people that owned it first and it's i, I think as you get into the more rural communities and somerville's built up a lot not necessarily it depends yeah it's it's not necessarily the case what you have to do is go out and do something famous or be involved in something famous, <laughs> and then they'll make it a hyphenated so when we first met, you had two different books. One you gave me a copy of, which is the uh, Somerville Through Time. And I had the opportunity to page through this. I can't say I read every word, but I was amazed at a lot of the pictures. And then the second one you suggested was the Historic Advisory Committee from Somerville Borough as the county's handsomest courthouse. And I did order that. It hasn't shown up yet. I'm looking forward to it. So. There's so much history on Somerville. Um, what we decided to do today is talk about the Revolutionary War through about when the um, current City Hall building was built, which would be up till about 1850. And then we'll get together again in a subsequent conversation and take it from then forward. That way we can keep the conversation to somewhere around 30 to 40 minutes. So it's, okay. it's amazing to me that you said, I, I took some notes, I wouldn't say they're copious, but they're, they're my way of reminding me what we talked about. The very first thing you said was, Somerville's here because of the Revolutionary War. And you talked about it being the crossroads and being a town of less than a thousand people and George Washington coming in with almost 9,000 people. Why don't you tell us what happened that year? That was 1788, 78. No, earlier. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, okay. But first, thank you for plugging the books. <laughs> uh, the um, Somerville Through Time is my is by my friend Linda and friends Linda and Bob Barth, and um, uh, they um, uh, Bob is linked with Ville TV and a, a great photographer, and Somerville has not only a history, but a well-documented history. So they were able to pull a lot of old photographs and then go around and shoot the same location, which is why that book is really cool. And um, the, the other one that our historic advisory committee did is um, on our borough hall. We say borough hall rather than, than city hall because Somerville okay. is a borough. And we'll talk about that, what the difference that is maybe in a later, later show. But getting back to your question, uh, yes, Somerville exists because George Washington was here uh, uh, during the American Revolution, and you got the year right when you corrected yourself, uh, 1778. Um, the army in those days needed a place to stay for the winter. They didn't fight in the winter months because uh, uh, the roads were poor and uh, you couldn't haul supplies easily, and um, basically everything shut down for the winter. 
and uh, the British were comfortable and holed up in New York, usually, uh, when they were in this part of the, of the uh, state. But um, Washington needed to do a couple of things. He needed to keep them an eye on them, keep them bottled up, and defend the countryside. And he also had to um, uh, keep his army together, most of whom were volunteers. We didn't have a government formally, very much of one. Uh, and uh, it was a loose federation of states, uh, and it was very difficult to um, keep his army intact because the, they were mostly state militias and the guys wanted to go home for the winter and that kind of thing. So um, they had decided to uh, come to this area. Washington had been through here before en route to Morristown uh, a year earlier and stopped briefly in the spring and noted that it was a great place to be. There was a road uh, network here that crossed in what modern day Somerville is, Grove Street and Main Street, but then was Old Pluckerman Road and the Old York uh, Road, and uh, that offered him uh, the best roads in the area to get supplies with. Uh, it was a fertile valley, and um, he saw it as being well protected behind the mountains and so he uh, sent his scout out and they knocked on the door of John Wallace who had one of the few uh, houses in the area. So, uh, at that time Somerville did not exist. This was a completely rural crossroads in Bridgewater Township and um, by anyone's reckoning, there were like a total of six houses and a tavern in the footprint of what today is modern Somerville. So uh, in late November, Washington's um, uh, quartermaster knocked on the door of John Wallace's house and said, uh, the army is going to be in this area for the winter and we would like to use your house as his headquarters. And so so that was the beginning of Washington's moving the troops into the general area of what is called Middlebrook. And Middlebrook doesn't exist today in particular on any, any map. It's basically the area uh, that is um, uh, between uh, Boundbrook and part of Bridgewater and uh, Somerville. The whole area around here became the Middlebrook in, encampment. So Washington moved in in, in uh, early December. Uh, he actually rented the house from John Wallace, uh, uh, and he stayed there. Uh, and there were five other generals that were headquartered in houses that still exist today. There were many other officers, and they were quartered also in the area in existing homes between South Boundbrook and um, uh, even in, in Raritan. But uh, the five generals' houses that still remain standing today and are actually uh, open to the public, and you can go and see them, uh, are in uh, South Brownbrook, uh, Bridgewater, uh, Somerville, and then up in Plaquemine, where he had his um, artillery camp. But uh, in Somerville, you had Washington, you had his uh, personal lifeguard was, was here, uh, his uh, his personal bodyguard, William Lee, who uh, uh, stayed with him throughout the war and was his personal body uh, servant. 
um, and uh, all, the, all the troops were variously dispersed in and around uh, Somerville. Uh, the post office, we think, is where the modern courthouse uh, is today. And of course, um, the tavern site is still um, a public house. It's the Somerset uh, site of the Somerset Hotel today. That was where the tavern was. And that, that's, oh, been, wow. that's been a, a tavern in that location since that, since that time. So um, we uh, know that there were approximately uh, 9,000 9, Uh, soldiers here with in addition to their officers um, many of them were camped uh, in the Bridgewater area uh, but there were soldiers all around and there were um, the supply and uh, and functionaries that were needed all, all in and around uh, this this general uh, area uh, part of the reason things were easy to develop after the war was that a lot of the trees had been cut down to build huts for these guys. So um, it was uh, it was one benefit was they cleared the land for, for future use. Um, so that is how Washington came to be in Somerville and, uh, and at the Wallace House. And he, he stayed there for the entire winter. He made a couple trips to Philadelphia to meet with Congress but um, he was here, Martha was here, she joined him um, in Philadelphia at Christmas time and then they came together to back to the Wallace house and they stayed here until until uh, June when they broke camp and um, uh, marched out uh, for the next season's campaign. And this was one of three major winter cantonments we call them cantonment because it was a more permanent um, uh, station for the winter in the in the uh, uh, in the Revolutionary War. Uh, the first one that everybody knows from school was uh, Valley Forge, and we know that was terribly terrible suffering there. And uh, everybody knows about Morristown because that was a terrible snowy winter. But Middlebrook was the winter where the army actually got consolidated and where they were able to really build up their um, organization and their hierarchy in the, in the army. And it was stronger and better able to uh, campaign and go forward and fight. And so we like to think, some people call it Middlebrook the Eagle's Nest because okay. it was where uh, the army was really uh, hatched. Uh, and, and we liked at the Heritage Trail, we're going to be coming out with a book that um, is going to talk about the entire uh, Middlebrook encampment, including um, uh, all, of the, all of the unique features of it. And we call it uh, the Continental Army comes into its own because that's where you can really see this as the birthplace of the American Army was at Middlebrook. So that's going to be coming out, we hope, before the end of the year. Super. So the local sentiment was pro-Washington's cause, which was the revolution, not pro-Queen's cause, which was the dominating power. In general, the, there was better support for Washington in this area um, because it was largely Dutch. And so the minister, local minister, uh, Jacob Hardenberg, 
who was the minister of the Dutch Reformed Church, was pro um, Patriot cause, but there, but there really is the case that there were divided loyalties, and uh, it is thought that John Wallace himself was at best uh, lukewarm about the idea of uh, uh, the American cause, and that in fact one of the reasons he insisted on being paid was he was nervous about uh, giving shelter to to uh, to Washington, and there were loyalists in the area, but still it was a largely pro-American uh, populace, and Washington, when he was here, did everything he could to stay on um, good terms with the local populace, and uh, Jacob Hardenberg, the reverend uh, the old Dutch parsonage, was uh, very instrumental in promoting that, and the two men became good friends, so much so that after uh, uh, when Washington uh, eventually became the president, and he came back through this area on his way to New York to be inaugurated, he stopped for lunch at the parsonage with the, with the reverend. So wow. um, it's kind of nice to think that the two houses uh, are still neighbors today, uh, even though the parsonage is not in its original location. So, so that, that's an important point. Uh, if, as you go under the bridge on, I'm trying to remember the name of the street. Somerset. Somerset Street, on yeah, the left. The circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're going towards the circle, on the left is this park, which has got a name, I'm sure, that I don't know. Um, yes, can you repeat, Joe, because you cut out for just a minute. Okay, so the name of the park. What, what are you asking? The name of the park that the Wallace. Oh, it's not a specific. Yeah, it's, well, it's just the Wallace House, an old Dutch parsonage historic site. It doesn't have a historic site, not a park. So you can go see these two buildings still standing today. I think the thing that you said last week that impressed me the most was there wasn't a large population in Somerville at that point, the Somerville area, the Middlebrook area. It was maybe 10 to 1 Washington's troops right. versus local people. Right. And the area That's towards correct. Boundbrook was more populous at that area. Yeah, the Boundbrook Town Center was really the population center. But even then, when I say population center, it's nothing like today. It's a much smaller uh, population. It was definitely a rural village and, and, um, and uh, Boundbrook was important because it, it had river crossings, and, and that was what led people to gravitate there. So the city hall for what is today Somerville wasn't really in Somerville at that point in time. You pointed out it was a little to the south. Uh, um, the borough hall, the modern borough hall where we met um, uh, didn't exist, and uh, uh, Somerville had really no, no place on the map until about um, uh, the early 1800s. Um, the reason that I said that Somerville's here because of Washington is because Washington was supported by his local population here. The British were uh, determined to 
extract some revenge against Hardenberg and the local populace. So after Washington left in June of 79, that fall, uh, Colonel John Simcoe, who was the head of uh, a unit called Queens Rangers in New Brunswick, rode out of New Brunswick on a raid in October. And they came into the Raritan Valley uh, through Millstone, which was the county seat at that time. Okay. And uh, it was called Somerset Courthouse. And it was there that the actual church that Hardenberg uh, ministered to uh, was located, along with the courthouse. Now, Hardenberg, he was a circuit pastor in the sense that he served more than one church. The main one was in Millstone, Somerset Courthouse, but he also rode circuit to Branchburg and a couple of other uh, churches, at least three that he served. And um, the parsonage was here because it was kind of in between them. But anyway, the British Queens Rangers rode into Millstone. They burned the courthouse and then they burned the church to get back at at, um, Hardenburg. And um, after the war, Somerset County had to reorganize itself and they needed a new county seat and they needed the Dutch Reformed Church needed a new church center to serve this general area. So that's when Somerville started because they had to rebuild somewhere and they decided to relocate in a more uh, uh, central place. They chose the crossroads here, uh, just like Washington did, because the roads were there, and probably because the guy that owned the tavern, uh, uh, Tunison, uh, offered to give them land. He was a good church member, so he was happy to support his church, but he was also a tavern owner who probably realized that putting the courthouse and bringing all those lawyers and cases to uh, this new location would be very good for his business. So he gave him the land and that became the Somerset County seat. Uh, it needed a different name because people wanted uh, to know where the county seat was and the other one had been called Somerset Courthouse. So that became Millstone and this became Somerville. Uh, no one exactly knows where the name was first used, but you can find it on state maps in the um, early 1800s. And we think locally it, it may have come from one of two places. They, they uh, had uh, an organized um, uh, little house building company uh, was incorporated uh, and they called themselves the Somerset House Company. And they began to construct um, townhomes across from where the courthouse was going to be so Uh that I guess lawyers and judges could live locally and so the Somerset House Company may have led to Somerville Village or Somerset Village which became Somerville Uh, but it's also the case that there was an early prep school here again probably because it was close to the church and where the minister lived um, they organized the Somerville Academy and that was to distinguish it from the Brick Academy, which was further, further afield uh, in, in, in the northern s- section of, of the academy. So between now, we now have a courthouse, a tavern, uh, a church, 
an academy, and a new development. Wow. So here you have a village growing. Big time. Yeah, around the crossroads that's going to become uh, the county seat, Somerville. So I, I found two things interesting from the Somerville Through Time book. One was that one of the authors, his name is Somerville, spelled differently. Yeah. But secondly, as I went through it, how many different denominations of churches are there? Yes. And this book is amazing. People can't see it, but there's a before and after picture of about a hundred different places. That's right. And some of the buildings are still standing today. I mean, the Catholic church got burnt down, it said, um, but it, you, you can ride through Somerville and see it today and take a look in this book and see what it really looked like as far back as we had pictures. And right. there wasn't much there right when Washington was there. This all sort of happened after Washington, post-Washington. And because of Washington. And because of Washington. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, uh, Somerville really got it, this jump start after the revolution. And then the... The other big impetus, and probably um, you can pretty much say that it's a theme of Somerville's uh, existence, is um, uh, roads and getting places make Somerville, because Washington came here because of the roads, and then the next road to impact Somerville was the New Jersey Turnpike. Now, not, not the turnpike we know, but the turnpike that the state started to construct after the war to start to give the state some infrastructure and they built a turnpike that went from Perth Amboy to Easton and parts of it today are still in use as modern roads we have Easton Avenue in New Brunswick and Route 28 going out and in Somerville the turnpike came right along the uh, modern Route 28 that's part, part of Main Street and it went right past the courthouse and it went through town. And then toward the western end of town, they forked it off uh, at, at uh, what is now West End Avenue. And that part went on to be the Eastern Turnpike out to Easton and in Somerville became West End Avenue. But it created this interesting triangular lot. And that was where you and I sat that week ago, uh, right. Joe. And we talked about how now the turnpike came through, so that meant several interesting things happened. First of all, um, there's more traffic in Somerville, more commerce. Somerville is now en route to, to uh, Perth Amboy. It was always a stage route from New York to Philadelphia. Uh, so now it's a route into New Brunswick to get the DNR Canal so they can be shipping. And so Somerville's connected now. And that triangular lot is a place where the toll was. And uh, people would stop, pay the toll. And somebody said, well, it's a good place to plunk a tavern. So they did. They built a tavern on the <laughs> site of what is now Borough Hall. But then it was just a tavern. And you had all this influx of people coming into town. Um, the, the, um, there were some early industrialists uh, coming in because people thought for a while there could be mining operations in the Watchung Hills. And uh, they wanted to live in a town environment, but the, they would have their mines in the hills. 
then uh, in the 1840s, you had the railroad coming to Somerville. It came a little at a time, first from Elizabeth uh, and then slowly the tracks made their way to, to Somerville and in 1842, uh, Somerville had its first train depot. So you have all this new influx of people and a lot of them were business and industrialists and so they were bringing money into town. The man who was the miner, his name was Cayman, he decided uh, to take over that tavern at the point and he decided it would be a good place to build a really sumptuous house. If you stand on that lot, you can see everything coming up Main Street and everybody up Main Street can see you. So he built himself Somerville's first uh, castle. It was a brownstone and uh, typical of the money, new monies that were coming into town. Uh, he built it very ostentatiously and it was the first house in town to have running water and indoor plumbing in the 1840s. So that house kind of was a big Somerville landmark for a long time. Uh, and then um, well, we pretty much know that uh, before the Civil War, um, Somerville was, had become a reasonably prosperous uh, place. It was prosperous enough that it uh, needed to become more than just a village. And so um, some of the local people got together, a lawyer by the name of uh, Gaston, uh, worked with um, some local people, and they, they established um, a, a charter for Somerville as a town. Hang on, let me go back. Um, so uh, Somerville now had a town. It was a civil war was going on, it was 1864, uh, more and more industry and commerce, some of it prompted by the war, were coming into the surrounding area. Uh, they were attracted mostly to Raritan because of water power, but the, the people who were the business interests, the bankers, the, um, the people with money were, were uh, still focused on Somerville because of it being the county's, uh, the county's seat. So, so what um, year was that original castle built then? The, the original one, so not the existing borough hall, the original castle was put in um, uh, around the time the railroad came to Somerville. So the uh, late uh, 1830s, early 1840s. Okay. And um, th th it was uh, in the hands of its original owner for a while. It later passed to the ownership of one of the Dowdy brothers, um, who was a state senator from New Jersey. Okay. And they were movers and shakers in, in Somerville. One of them was the president of the mm -hmm. bank, established the local school system. Somerville had one of the first public schools in the area uh, from about 1850. Um, and by 18... 1860, but just before the Civil War, uh, Somerville had a, uh, a uh, basically a small, t it was a small town, and uh, Joshua Dowdy and his brother, uh, one of them owned the, uh, and funded a brickyard, the other one owned a lumber uh, yard. Somerville was being built up, 
at, at that time. Um, and um, more and more uh, people were coming into the town. Now the modern Borough Hall, the one, well I shouldn't say modern because it was built in 1888, uh, was uh, the home of, uh, again, a New Yorker who, after, after the Civil War, uh, again, uh, railroads were key. You could get to and from the city very easily. You had more and more people interested in, in coming to the Somerville area as a place where they could still commute from easily to the city. There were amenities here, but it was still a pretty rural place. It was considered country. There were uh, still farms on the outskirts of the town. and. Um, uh, people came here to get away from the city into a more uh, healthy and natural place. So it was a place you could have a summer home, if you would. Another, another place where summer might have come from. Right, right. Well, but by then it was definitely Somerville. Somerville, right. It was, it was Somerville uh, much before this. So um, uh, uh, one of the people who took advantage of uh, Somerville was Daniel Robert. He met and, and married a, a, a local Somerset County woman and they decided to make their home in Somerville. And he purchased the old castle. He okay. was a man of romantic temperament. He um, believed that his family had roots in medieval France and he loved music and opera. He had traveled in Europe a good deal. He was in love with medieval architecture and uh, the appearance of the castle uh, sitting on the point on the triangular lot attracted him so he bought it but by then it was almost 50 years old uh, and he found it not exactly to his taste and not modern enough so he decided that for his new wife he would build a new castle. And so that's how Somerville got its castle. Daniel Robert uh, uh, hired uh, a Bridgeport architect to copy one of the most famous Gothic uh, designs uh, in, uh, that were popular at the time. Uh, and they constructed a almost exact copy of a Bridgeport mansion in Somerville. Uh, they got dynamite and they blew up the existing brownstone castle that had been <laughs> So Cayman's castle went bye-bye. So, um, it's said that the bricks from that and, uh, and some of the stained glass from that are part of our fire museum uh, on Dowdy Street. They were recycled. But um, it's true that you can still find hunks of brick whenever they excavate on Burrow Hall property you can occasionally find hunks of brick and sometimes pieces of pottery from the tavern you will dig up on on burrow on wow. a lot so that gives us a nice picture of but um uh, after the building original building was demolished you had the beautiful gothic building that you see there today and our our book uh the county's handsomest house uh, uh is uh the story of basically what I've told you today, and um, also 
how it got built, a little bit about Daniel Robert, who he was as a person. We don't okay. know a lot about him, but some tantalizing things are there. And um, uh, the, the uh, restoration that our group has been able to do on the house with the help of Somerset County's um, Historic Preservation Fund. We've been able to um, restore a lot of the house because since 1888, it's undergone a few trials, including two fires and uh, people that have not always uh, uh, repaired it <laughs> in a timely or appropriate fashion. So we're, we're so able when to did, finding when, help do some of that. When did the county seat take place? What That was around, the building you said went up in 88 as well. Well, the 88, 88 was the borough. So there's two, there's two government entities in Somerville. There's the right. borough, which yep. is who runs the town. And then there's the county government, which oversees the roads and everything that county governments do. So the county's been here since 1800. Okay. And they had um, an original brick courthouse on the green. And then in 1909, they built the beautiful marble courthouse that you see there. So right. That the county seat is really, um, you know, since 1800, and our courthouse is the fifth courthouse in the county, but since uh, 1909. And then uh, Somerville didn't have any kind of uh, administrative building at all, even after it became a town, because technically it was just a board of people who met. And um, Somerville didn't actually become a governmental independent government agency from the township of Bridgewater until 1909. And when that happened, they did acquire um, some space in um, a brick building on uh, the corner of Bridge and High Street. It was, a, again, a former house. Uh, the Project Pub is there today, I believe. Okay. And, and that became the municipal building for a, a large number of years. Uh, in that building, they had the administrative office of the borough, the police headquarters, and the library in one building. Wow. And then after all, thing, things got kind of tight. And so <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't until um, um, in the 50s that the borough acquired the former Daniel Robert house, which um, had been in Daniel, Daniel Roberts' uh, family had owned it uh, since 1888. They were the builders of it, and he and his wife. And then uh, Robert died suddenly, uh, and uh, his wife continued to occupy the house until she got too elderly, and she sold it in the 20s to the Elks. So it became the Elks Club for a while, and right. then the Elks then sold it to the borough in the 50s. So, so this was the 1920s. Right. And it went through about the 1950s when the borough took it over. And, right. and that's going to be the second part of our story. So let's talk a little about what Somerville was known for in, in the late 1800s. I know as I page through the before and after pictures, I see the wool company and yeah. I, I saw an orphanage, which mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to that, but that was big back in the day, I guess yeah. from the war dead and, and yeah. whatever. Yeah, 
there, there, that was, building was out on uh, uh, what is now Route 22, and I don't, I don't know too much about how that ended, but um, obviously as time went on, um, uh, the state wanted to put the road in, and I'm sure that the, the, the social uh, thinking was that orphanages were not so good for kids to warehouse them. So eventually um, that building uh, was uh, demolished. Um, the, uh, because Somerville is the county seat, a lot of things came here. There was a brick. There was a brickyard, so there was a, a brick industry for a long time, probably up until the First World War or so. There was um, um, a lumberyard, a very large lumberyard. Uh, Somerville made the transition from basically wood frame buildings on Main Street to mostly brick buildings, uh, in, probably after the Civil War. Uh, and the brickyard was uh, instrumental in in helping that because it was locally manufactured. It was easy to get brick and less expensive to haul it than if you were, you know, shipping it in from a distance. So um, uh, the brickyard was here that employed people. There, the train was here. There were a number of hotels. Somerville at one time had probably at least three or four different hotels, um, either on Main Street to cater to businessmen uh, and salespeople coming to town to supply merchants and the stores that were here or, or near the railroad area. So there were there were a couple of different hotels. There were, um, oh, and, and then in, um, when trolleys came in, Somerville had a trolley track. There was a trolley that ran from New Brunswick through Boundbrook uh, and into Raritan, uh, and uh, along the trolley uh, service, a lot of workers could commute to local businesses. So there was a woolen factory here. Uh, the big one really was in Raritan, and that was the one historically that was associated with uh, production of uniforms for soldiers during the Civil War. But Somerville's uh, wool factory was a big producer of men's woolen suits. And men in the late 1800s and in um, the early part of the 20th century always dressed for business and right. you needed to get a good woolen suit. But so they were, um, <laughs> they were always um, uh, doing business uh, associated with the manufacture and production of these suits and there were a number of sewing businesses in, in town so there were some sewing factories above the storefronts uh, on Main Street uh, I think there's a picture of one in in, um, in one of the in one of the photo books that that uh, we've done on Somerville an interior of a of a sewing factory with you see all the all the uh, sewing machines lined up and people working on men's shirts and ladies blouses and that and that kind wow. of thing. so, so, so there were industry yeah, I, I think you've painted in the time we have allocated a really good picture of Somerville from its inception, which was just before George Washington founded as a place to stay through just about the Civil War and a little past it as far as some of the buildings went. I think what we'll do next time is we'll pick it up right there somewhere around 
right after the 50s, 1850, 1860s, and come forward to modern, modern day Somerville. And the more modern it gets, the more people know about the history. It's, I was fascinating to hear what you said about this, and I'm sure some of our listeners will be as well. And once again, to our listeners, there's two books. I'm going to publish a link to where you can find both of them at Amazon or wherever. It doesn't matter to me where. And they're only 6 or $7 each. And one is the one that I've been talking about, which is Somerville Through Time. And the other one is the Historic Advisory Committee's Courthouse, the county's handsomest courthouse. And you know what? I would think that wasn't a well-used thing. I looked it up and the only one came up was Somerville. So I guess we got the best looking courthouse in the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we think so. Yeah, we, we do think. too. Marge, I want to thank you very much for spending the time both last week and this week. This um, Is there anything that you want to add that we haven't covered? Well, just that um, if you're interested in taking a, uh, a quick uh, tour of uh, any of the uh, historic sites in Somerville or in Somerset County, every October, the county features Weekend Journey, which is one weekend when they get everybody who has a house museum to open on the same weekend and it's a free program and you can site hop all around the county. And if you're interested in the Revolutionary War in, in particular, each of the five generals houses has their own website, but um, usually in February for George Washington's birthday, Heritage Trail Association runs a, a bus tour we, we didn't last year because of COVID. We hope to start up again with luck in the coming year where you can basically drive the whole per, uh, extent of the Middlebrook encampment and visit all the five generals' houses and see exactly where Washington and his generals spent the winter. In well, that's great. I know Marilyn and I are looking forward to doing the next one that's available. And what I'll do is I'll publish on the bottom of the posting for this interview that information as becomes available. So Marge, once again, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you and meeting with you last week. And uh, I hope our listeners get as much out of this as I do because I find it fascinating. And it's right here, right in the middle of everything. And that's what's super, super. exciting about it. Wow. Marge certainly has a lot of interesting information stored within her about the history of Somerville and is one of, as you can see, the leading historians on early Somerville. We're going to follow this session up with a second session, which will be the history of Somerville from 1850 on, and that'll take place in about another three months or so and will be published at a later date. One of the biggest decisions in your lifetime is buying or selling a house. Choosing a realtor with strong client communication, technology, and marketing skills will dramatically improve your chance of success. That's why Hunterdon and Somerset's residents rely on Joe Peters. Joe believes his clients deserve a smooth and seamless experience, not a roller coaster ride. As a Coldwell Banker Sales Associate with 20 years of experience, he's helped hundreds of people to achieve their goals and dreams, no matter where they were in the buying or selling process. 
Here's what his satisfied customers have to say. Joe guided us through the process of selling our home and made a complicated transaction appear seamless. Joe is diligent and responsive without being pushy and truly keeps his client's best interest in mind. He would return calls within minutes if he didn't pick up. Joe accomplishes this by approaching every transaction from a business perspective. Initially, he tries to fully understand your goals and dreams and make them his own. Then he takes the mass amount of data that's available and distills it down to a few understandable action points. And finally, he controls the entire process through technology and marketing. The end result to you is a smooth, rewarding customer experience. Let Joe show you how to take his professional expertise and put it to work for you. To contact Joe, go to jpeters.com. You can call 908-238-0118 or text to 908-304-4660.